knowledge as you're getting settled in your seats. Let's stand together. Let's worship the one true king who's worthy of our praise this evening. There is now a hope that lies beyond our days. For the one that once was buried leaves again. Now the tomb is barren, empty in the stone. Fellowship College, it is good to be with you tonight. Highlight of my week, 
every week is being right here with y'all getting to worship together. If I haven't met you, my name is Josh. I'm on the college team here. And uh, for most of you, you probably know this, but, oh yeah, sorry, you can sit down. Sorry, Burton. That was my one job, and I failed. So cheers. Most of y'all probably know this, but next week is the Super Bowl. Next Sunday night, to be specific. Yep. Any Chiefs fans? Any, any Bucks fans? What about, what about just like Brady admirers? I can respect it. Okay. If he wins, he's the GOAT, without a doubt. But I don't think in the history of Fellowship College, we have ever had service on Super Bowl Sunday. And some of you are thinking, yeah, because that would be crazy. Well, this year we're crazy. And I think, and I'm hoping, some of y'all might be a little crazy too. Because next Sunday, we will have uh, college service Sunday night. And I don't want, I know a lot of y'all that cheered probably aren't coming. But there was also a lot of you that didn't cheer. And so I'm hoping that you'll be there. And also the Chiefs are gonna win by like 40. And so if they're up by a bunch at half, come on over. If the Buffalo chicken dip runs out, just stop on by, we'll be here. It's gonna be a great night. We also have a special guest with us tonight. Some of y'all might have heard of them. It's called CMM, Center for Mission Mobilization. And we have a video that kind of shows what they do. So that's CMM. They're going to be in the back tonight. If you want to learn more, you can go to mobilization.org, or you can stop by the booth in the back, whether that's going on a short-term mission trip, whether that's being a full-time missionary in another country, or just kind of trying to figure out what it looks like to support missionaries here in Fayetteville or reaching the lost in this area. Uh, so if you want to know more about that, go uh, check out the booth in the back after the service. Let's pray and keep worshiping. Father, we, we thank you that your word is true and that you've given it to us freely. Thank you that you gave us 
song and worship and melodies, I just pray that the words that we sing tonight, even if we've sung them a million times, that they would fall afresh, that you would speak to us in, in new ways, that you would open the eyes of our hearts to behold wondrous things out of your word. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would just move in this place. We love you, and we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Josh. Um, as we're sitting, you guys can remain seated. Um, I want to share a story that, uh, <clears throat> that I experienced earlier this week. So this past Friday, I had a buddy come over, and uh, we've been, like, really good friends for a long time. Um, worked at summer camp together, and um, anyways, really, really close friend. And, uh, and I was cooking burgers for us, and we were hanging out on my back, my back patio. And we, I, like, always get into, like, pretty deep conversations with this guy. He's not a believer and, uh, and is very outspoken about that. And so, again, he's one of my best friends. And so we've had a lot of these conversations over the past decade or so. And, uh, and they've always been really respectable conversations, like, share with him my convictions, and he respects those. He just disagrees with them. And, uh, and so we had one of those conversations again this past, this past Friday, and, um, and you know, his, his uh, objections are, are the pretty, pretty standard ones. Um, so we're, we're kind of unpacking some of those things, and we get to share the gospel with him, and I cannot tell you how many times I've shared the gospel with this guy. Um, and I, I just had this thought as it was happening um, that crept in, and thought was, and this is a confession, um, was that, man, I don't, I don't think the Lord is going to save this guy. Um, I was just getting exhausted. Um, again, this has been going on for so many years. I was just tired. Uh, it's the same conversation over and over again. And I just, in that moment, thought, man, I don't know if God's going to save him. Um, and there's probably even a, a part of me that's like, I don't know if God can save him. Um, then I, I, by the grace of God, opened this book, and, and a lot of you have it. We gave it to a lot of you leaders. Uh, if you don't have it, I would recommend getting it. You can, you can find it on Amazon. It's called uh, Morning and Evening by uh, it's Charles Spurgeon, so it's packed full of just goodness, and it's a devotional book. You're essentially supposed to read a devotional every morning and every evening, and so I, I came across this, and it convicted me, um, and boldness, I hope, um, but I wanted to read it to you guys, and this is what it says, this is what Spurgeon writes, it's, it's based off of this phrase, mighty to save, that we find in Isaiah 63, he says, Christ is not only mighty to save those who repent, he is able to make people repent, he will carry believers to heaven, but he is moreover mighty to give people new hearts and work faith in them. He is mighty to make the person who hates holiness to love holiness and to compel the one who despises his name to bend the knee before him. Man, that's good. I needed to hear that because I was losing hope for my buddy. And I'm reminded when we read that of the power and holiness of our Father. And so what I want us to do is just right where you're seated, I want you to start thinking of, of friends in your lives that, that might be similar to the one that I'm describing, that, that I've been close with for a long time, 
So maybe it is someone that you know really well, or maybe it's someone you just met and you're getting to know, but this person, you're just like, man, I don't know if they're ever going to be a believer. I don't know if God is going to save them. We, we're just reminded that God can save them, and so we're going to pray for that. We're going to pray really boldly for that, just where you're sitting, and pray boldly for this person that God is laying on your heart that God would save this individual. And, and maybe if it's you in the room and, and you, don't, you don't get the whole Jesus thing and, and it's new to you and you're here just figuring that out, pray that God would open up your eyes to what it is he wants to teach you tonight. So if you're in that camp, pray for that. Pray that God would work in your heart. If you are a believer uh, and God has laid a specific person on your heart, let's take a few minutes and let's pray boldly rise, would you hear them? God, would you begin to move in our hearts? God, continue to place a burden on our hearts for the individuals we're praying for. God, continue to move in our hearts to, to convict us of your goodness and grace, and may that stir in us a way that we live life more obedient to you, not because it defines righteousness in us, but because it declares it. And so that's our prayer. We remember that regardless of where we are at, God, your heart won't stop chasing after us. And that is good, good news because we fight it often. But God, we're reminded that you love us and that you won't stop chasing after us. So that's, that's a truth that, that we cling to tonight.
And behold, a lawyer stood to put into the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him into an inn and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think provided to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Well, good evening, everybody. My name's Tad. I work here on staff at Fellowship Fayetteville with the student ministry. I know many of you that serve with cell groups and uh, it's just good to be in with the college ministry and get a chance to worship with you guys tonight. I'm excited to look at this parable. Um, so about five years ago, I had a friend of mine uh, tell me, Tad, have you, ever, have you ever had any interest in Christian Reed? You ever thought about dating her? I was single at the time and I said, no, man, I, I, I know who she is. Like, I actually, we, we had gone to the same junior high, so I'm like, I've, I've known who she is since probably like seventh grade, but I've never spoken to her. Saw her in college, we never talked. He's like, you should, you should ask her out. And so, as a single guy, I did. I took her out. We dated for a couple months, and then I stupidly ended things and, and kind of went on my way and thought, you know, yeah, I, I, you know, again, like, she was familiar to me, but there's, there's nothing there yet. Uh, probably six months later, we ended up working together. She's on staff, she was on staff here with the elementary team and we just naturally began to spend more time around each other, getting to know each other. And I began to realize, one, I'm an idiot for breaking up with her. I should have continued dating her. I'm in love with this girl. She's amazing. I wanna spend the rest of my life with her. How do I fix this? Long story short, she gave me another chance. We got married, we now have a kid, but the reason I share this story is one, because I needed an excuse to show a picture of my child, because he's super cute, he's awesome. The other reason is because there's some guy in here who's probably thinking that about some girl, she's familiar, just take a chance, man. I'm just kidding, that's not the reason I shared that. <laughs> but maybe do, I don't know. Uh, no, the reason is this, that oftentimes we let familiarity with something rob us from seeing the, 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 the beauty 
uh, of something that, that we just kind of take for granted. And I think that is totally true of the parable of the Good Samaritan, that it is such a familiar parable. Uh, next to the prodigal son, it is probably the most popular parable out of the Bible. Even non-believers know this parable and they, and they often cite it as a reason that we should be good neighbors to one another, that we should care about people. It's, it's a, like a good moral story, right? Uh, the, the moral of the story, I mean, I know it. I've seen Veggie Tales. Uh, like, it's just be a nice person, right? It's a, be nice to people, especially people in need. And even if you don't like them, that our neighborly love should even cross uh, social, ethnic uh, barriers that, that we that our, break down our prejudice, we should help people in need, right? That's the moral of the Good Samaritan, right? Yes, absolutely. It's totally in line with Jesus' other teachings to love your enemies, love people not even like you, to care for the poor and those in need. That's absolutely true. And yet, over the last few weeks as I've been studying this parable, I've just been kind of blown away of, there is so much more here than just that. This is the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely, this is a good moral example. But, quite frankly, if we're being blunt, Jesus doesn't have the corner market on that idea. Almost every major religion will claim the same thing, that it is a good thing to show kindness to people, and, and, and really good people will even show kindness and love to their enemies. That's not exclusive to Christianity, but what's going on here? What makes this parable so unique? What is Jesus really trying to say? Well, remember, as you guys have been studying parables in here, uh, you've been encouraged, when you study parables, don't ask, what does this say about me? How do I apply this moral truth to my life? What do I need to do? What does it say about me? But rather, say, what is Jesus trying to communicate about his kingdom? What is it trying to communicate about the reality that he is trying to break into our world, that he is trying to change things, that he is redefining everything we know about our relationship with God around himself? What is it saying about that? That's the question that we need to ask. And kind of the categories that, that y'all have considered that most parables fall into is they explain the nature of the kingdom, the ethics of the kingdom, how the people ought to live, and then the judgment of the kingdom. And tonight, I wanna draw out that, that this parable really says a lot about the nature of the kingdom and the ethic of the kingdom. And oftentimes, we just jump straight to the ethic. Again, that moral truth that we should show love and kindness to people, even our enemies. But what is Jesus saying about the nature of his kingdom that maybe we've missed whenever we just reduce this parable to that simple moral truth? That's what I want us to talk about tonight. And so I wanna, I wanna pray again because when we look at God's word, we need to invite the spirit into into our hearts to, to illuminate this, and, and I wanna do that. So bow your heads with me, let's, let's pray, and let's ask God to help us understand this parable that, that we would stop just treating it as something so familiar. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Jesus who, who came, lived among us, and showed us about the kingdom. Lord, that he died in our place on the cross. He rose again, bringing new life, and we can step into that new life if we place our faith in him. God, as we look at this familiar parable, would it be fresh and new? Would we not think, I know this one, I've got this. Lord, even as, as you just blown my mind as I've looked more at this and, and given a second glance, it's, would you do the same for these students here tonight? And will we become kingdom people who live out the nature and ethic of your kingdom? Amen. We need to frame this parable in the context of the conversation. We just heard it read, but let's, let's, let's see again. An expert in the law, 
the law being the Torah. Uh, this is a Jewish expert and their um, identity story, their redemption story, their, their law, the, 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 what the people of Israel were supposed to live out, and he's an expert. He probably knows the Torah back and forward, the Torah's first five books of the Bible. He's an expert, and he comes up to Jesus, who's this emerging rabbi, who's gaining an enormous following of people, and he's this new kind of big name in, in Jewish thinking, at least in that, that time, that's probably his idea, and he comes up to test him, to invite him into some of that, that expert in the law dialogue that they're having, those debates that they're having about the Torah, and he asks him, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? We gotta pause here because that immediately sends up radars in our mind as people who live in a Western culture. And when we see eternal life, our mind immediately jumps to pictures like this. Uh, the, the floaty cloud place, or the big golden gate, and maybe St. Peter there taking roll as you, you show up and we'll throw in a unicorn and some angels for good measure, maybe Gandalf who says, death is just another path we all must take and follow me. We're going... These are the ideas that get conjured up in our head whenever we think about heaven or eternal life. And we need to break that category because it's not really in line with what the scripture teaches about eternity. That is not at all what this Jewish man would have been envisioning whenever he asked this question. And think about it. If it was what he was asking, what do I need to do to go to heaven? If you know the parable, then your logical assumption would be, he just says, yeah, just be good to people and love even your enemies. And that's whenever you get to heaven, that's when you're gonna check in your ticket. They're gonna, they're gonna ask there, and you're checking, did you get your ticket? Were you nice to people? Were you even nice to your enemies? No, that would be ridiculous because we know that that's not how this works, that we are sinners saved by grace. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. Uh, so if, if we let that be our assumption of what this man meant when he asked that question, we're gonna totally miss the parable. What did he mean whenever he asked that question? Well, for a first century Jew, his idea of inheriting the kingdom was more, uh, when, when God comes, when, when God comes down here to put things back in order, and, and we know that we have already been his chosen people, uh, the Jewish nation, chosen, rescued out of slavery in Egypt, brought into the promised land. They, they built the temple. They were God's people that were supposed to be a blessing and light to the rest of the nations. And yet things have gone horribly wrong. They're living in exile, and now they're under foreign rule by the Roman Empire. Things are not good. And so he's asking this question, what do I need to do to make sure that I'm going to be uh, on the right side when God does come and put things back in order? whether in the present, during this lifetime, or will I be resurrected into new life? That, that their notion of the afterlife was not just this, this disembodied future forever, but resurrection. Will we be raised again to rule and reign with God the way that he designed human beings in the beginning, to be his image bearers, to play a significant role in creation? That's what he's asking. What do I need to do to make sure that I will inherit the kingdom? It's a little similar, I'll admit, to that question, how do I get saved? But the nuance is important. One, because that, that idea of a disembodied heaven as, as the idea of eternity and forever is not the end for us, but resurrection is. That we will be raised to experience renewed creation when God comes. And so when he asks that question, he's asking, how do I know that I'm in God's people? What do I need to do? And, and like a classic, I don't know if any of you lead small groups, classic strategy right here by Jesus. What do you think? What's written in the law? How do you read it? You're an expert. What do you say? 
And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. That is the summary of the Torah. It's likely that this conversation happened a lot for Jesus. We see records of it in Matthew and Mark, this same question being posed to Jesus. Sometimes he's the one answering, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. This is probably a common question uh, that the, the, the experts in the law often probably got together to say, how do we summarize all of the Torah into one statement? And this is usually where they came. The, 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 this idea of loyalty to Yahweh and, and, and love for neighbor. It, he's referencing specifically Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. And that is how they summarized the entirety of the law. And Jesus says, yes, that's right. If your life is characterized, characterized by loyalty to Yahweh, complete loyalty, your, your, your mind, your heart, your soul, your strength, every part of your life is, is an act of love to Yahweh. You're loyal to him completely. And naturally, if that's true, then that would be characterized by a life of love for neighbor. That is the summary. And Jesus says, yes, that's, I agree. That is the summary of the law. That's how you know that you are in God's kingdom. That's how you know you're one of his people. That's how you know that you can hope to inherit uh, the resurrection when, when God comes to set things right. But then he asks another question, and we begin to see, again, knowing that this is a conversation Jesus had other times too, he probably knew that Jesus was gonna agree with him on this, and then he asks his real question. This is what he really is after. He wanted to justify himself, and so he said, who is my neighbor? If we're, if we're gonna right, say that neighborly love is part of that, is, is it kind of a kind of standard of God's people, who is my neighbor? Again, we see this, and maybe our immediate thought is, is he really just saying like, do I really have to love everybody? Maybe he's using that same, that excuse that we have to make. Well, God said I have to love everybody. Did he didn't say I have to like everybody as a reason to justify not liking certain people, holding on to prejudices. And I wonder though, if Jesus had responded, if that was really what he was asking, do I really have to love everybody? If that's his actual question, Jesus could have fired back, dude, you know the law, directly around that passage that you just quoted, to love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, go mark it down and read it later. All around that are other commands to love not only their fellow Israelite, but the poor foreigners that were living among them. Uh, there's, there's laws in there to make sure that they were living justly in regard to the disabled, uh, to the disadvantaged, that they conducted their business affairs correctly, that they didn't show partiality and judgment towards the poor or the rich, uh, that they took care of slaves, that they took care of people who had been um, abused, he knows that. All of that is totally embodied in that summary statement of love your neighbor as yourself. So if he's, I really don't think he's asking, do I really have to love everybody? I think he's asking something a little more specific. And I think the question would probably for us be better asked like this. Where do we draw the boundaries of God's kingdom? Who's our neighbor? Who's in? Who else are God's people? And where do we draw the boundary line around that? The Jews kind of operated out of this, this kind of category of if God is at the center and, and his presence is at the temple, then around that there are the priests, then there are the tribe of Levi, and then there are the other 11 tribes of Israel, and then outside of that there's Samaritans who were, used to be part of the Israelite tribes, but after the uh, Assyrian captivity, they had, they had intermarried with, with non-Israelites. They've become kind of lost. They're not fully Jewish. They don't fully agree with the, the, the Torah that the, the, the Israelites had. That They had a different book that was different. They claimed that the temple should not be in Jerusalem, but on Mount Gerizim, they were different. And so there was naturally a ton of conflict over who's actually God's people and who is not. And so any Israelite, 
probably would draw the boundary line here. The priests, the Levites, the Israelites, and then there's this wall, essentially. There's this barrier of entry. If they continue living like Samaritan nations or, or the Gentile nations, they're not one of us. And so I think he's asking this question to really get at that. Where do we draw the boundary? How do I find myself safely inside that boundary so that I, I know I'm in? And then they operate out of this, this conception that anybody who wants to be in the kingdom, anyone who wants to be God's people, they have to come in that boundary. They need to come to us. And they need to adopt Jewish custom, circumcision, go through our rituals, our eating rites, all of, this, all of these um, sacraments and rituals to be Jewish people. They need to take on our ethnic identity if they wanna share in God's kingdom. That's where we draw the boundary. That is likely a truer context that this parable is told in. Which again, it's, it's, the, the moral truths are totally there. He's still like revealing a ton of his own prejudice here. And yet that is the context that this parable is told in. So now let's read what Jesus says in this parable, thinking of that. If this is how this expert in the law is operating, this is his way of categorizing the world, think about the parable and how it would come across to someone whose mind was in this place. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, then he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now a priest happened to be going down the same road and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Imagine that, a priest. Someone at the dead center of God's kingdom. Someone in close proximity to temple in the presence of God and they passed by not living out the Torah of loyalty to Yahweh and love for neighbor. And then a Levite too, he came he passed by on the other side. A Levite, that next ring out, he too failed to live up to loyalty to Yahweh and love for neighbor. Who's coming down the road next? Naturally, this man's thinking, this is kind of a rule of three. Anyone who said the priests, the Levites, because of the way that the Jews structured their society, especially when they were in the wilderness and they were camping around the tabernacle before they're in Jerusalem and built the temple there, the, the priests were at the, temp, the tabernacle, then the Levites around them, and then the Israelite tribes around them, and then the other Gentile nations. So, so naturally, this kind of rule of three, we do this too. If I say, uh, Aragorn, Legolas, who's next? Gimli. Yeah, come on, Gimli, the dwarf. If I say, Harry, Hermione, who comes next? Ron, Ron Weasley. Y'all wanna do a, a harder one. We're gonna do a little throwback here. See the, the Disney fans, all right? Raven, Chelsea, and? Corey's the brother. I heard Corey. Eddie, Eddie, yeah. He's next. Let's do another, let's do another one, all right? Uh, Lizzie McGuire fans? Lizzie, Miranda, and? Gordo. That was a fast one. Yes, Gordo, who if you remember... There was an episode where he had a bar mitzvah because he was Jewish, which reminds me, we were talking about the Jews. Let's go back. You see that? You like that transition? You'll see what I did there? But a Samaritan comes down the road. He skipped one. It was supposed to be an Israelite, but he skipped one. He broke that category. He said, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, giving costly 
ways to bandage this person's wound and care for him medically. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Again, continuing to go way out of his way cost-wise to look after this man. Look after him, and when I return, he's gonna follow up. I'm gonna return. I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. And then Jesus poses the question. Which of the three from the story proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell in the hands of robbers? The expert in the law had to reply. The one who had mercy on him. Mercy, loving kindness, went out of his way to care for his needs. By the end of this parable, uh, there's been a huge paradigm shift because a Samaritan is now on the inside. This unexpected outsider has proved to be an insider. And these two people who were the most core insiders have now proved to be outsiders. If the boundary line is keeping in the Torah of loyalty to Yahweh and love for neighbor. So we pose the question again, where do we draw the boundary lines of the kingdom? And Jesus seems to, to begin to answer this. Their category was again, if you wanna be in God's kingdom, you have to come to us. Gentiles, that's most of us, if you want in on God's kingdom, if you wanna hope for the resurrection, if you wanna hope to be a part of God's plan, you have to come in. You have to take on all of our rituals, circumcision, sacrifices, cleansing rituals, etc., etc., eating laws. And Jesus begins to totally break that, first by claiming this, both in this story, I think, and by example, and, and, and all throughout the rest of the Gospels, that the Torah and the temple are now redefined around Jesus. I want to reference John 4, which ironically, Jesus is talking to a Samaritan woman, breaking every category, super outsider this woman would be. She's not Jewish, so Jesus has no business talking to her. She's a woman, so he's breaking other boundaries by being a man speaking to her. She's an adulterer, we found out in the story. She should be the farthest outsider, and yet Jesus approaches her, and they have this conversation and they're asking things. He says, you're at this well, but I can give you water that you can drink and you'll never thirst again. But instead, that water will be a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And they're dialoguing again. But you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. And you say we have to go to the temple in Jerusalem, but we worship God on Mount Gerizim. And he says, woman, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you don't know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. That is the type of worshipers the Father seeks. He's reorienting the temple to be himself. There will come a time you don't need to go to the temple to experience the presence of God. You need come only to Jesus. All the, the Torah, the, the, the Samaritans had a different Torah than the Jews. All of that, you listen to what I say, Jesus says. You've heard that it was said, that, that pattern in the Sermon on the Mount, you've heard that it is said, but I say, Jesus redefines all of this Jewish culture and this, and this expectation around himself. He's fulfilling the law and the prophets. After this, he says, as far as the boundary line, we're breaking it. Paul picks up on this theme. He knows it and he teaches it all throughout his letters. This is a huge theme throughout the rest of the New Testament when you read it. And he says that Jesus has destroyed the wall of hostility, for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one, destroyed the barrier and the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. 
You who once far away, you Gentiles have now been brought near into the kingdom of God through Jesus and what he's accomplished. And Paul will go on and say in Galatians that there's actually no distinction in the kingdom. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, nor slave nor free, nor male nor female. All are one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. How do you know if you'll inherit the kingdom? You have faith in Jesus. And then lastly, that notion that they must come to the temple. They must become insiders. They must take on Jewish customs. Jesus breaks that. No, where are the boundaries of the kingdom? We push them to the ends of the earth. We see that in Acts 1-8 when he tells his disciples, you will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, that you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's teaching us about the nature of his kingdom. I think one of the most amazing stories that, that models this that we see in the New Testament is in Acts 10, also written by Luke, who I think began to understand this. There's this story about a man named Cornelius. He's not a Jew. In fact, it says that he's a, he was a centurion for the Roman army. Not only is he not an insider, he's one of the oppressive empire people. And yet it says this about him, that he feared God with all his household and gave alms generously to all people and prayed continually to God. What is he modeling by his lifestyle? Loyalty to Yahweh. Love for neighbor. It says that he has a vision an angel comes and says, you need to send for Peter. Send men to go get the, the man Peter and bring him back here and he's gonna tell you how you can know God. And simultaneously, Peter has a vision. He's seeing all of these unclean animals by the Jewish rituals uh, coming down from the heavens and, and, and Jesus tells him, eat. He said, no, I can't eat that, I'm a Jew. We, can, we can't eat these unclean animals. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't call anything unclean that I have made. And remember, everything is being redefined and reoriented around Jesus. This is foretelling that then he goes to Cornelius and he's with these unclean people by the Jewish standard. And as he's talking with them and he realizes, he begins to realize, no, God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right, who shows loyalty to Yahweh and love for neighbor. And all the prophets testify about Jesus that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness and sin through his name. Forgiveness of sins through his name. Consider what this means for us. That Jesus came and, and is the perfect representation of God, God himself in the flesh, to fulfill his promise to Abraham that he would bless all nations, that he doesn't take, show favoritism, he doesn't give privilege to just one ethnic group over the other, but all people can come and be God's people. That we see in the end of scripture in Revelation that, that there are gonna be worshipers of God from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Jesus' kingdom is, is so far boundary-breaking and category-breaking for us. It defies logic. And we get to be insiders if we trust in him. If we place our faith in Jesus, we who were once far from him can come near. That it just should expand our understanding of the nature of Jesus' kingdom and, and understanding this. I don't know, again, I'm just, 
seeing that this parable has so much to say and the implications of it, of the nature of Jesus' kingdoms that we see throughout the rest of the New Testament, them dealing with this. Well, how can the Gentiles become followers of Jesus? Do they have to obey the Jewish customs? And, and, and Paul becomes really the big voice in this. No, what Jesus did completely redefined this. He is calling people to himself. And everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins and becomes God's people and can hope in the inheritance of the kingdom. So we talked about the, the, the nature of the kingdom and my hope is that in, in rooting, circling back to this parable and maybe seeing that angle of it uh, would, would then launch us back out to live out the ethic of it. Uh, Jesus tells the man this at the end of the parable. Who's the one that proved to be a neighbor to the man? Well, the one who showed him mercy. You go and do the same. Well, shouldn't we Go and do the same. Uh, let's consider again what the Samaritan did, how he showed kingdom neighborliness, how he, Jesus modeled for us what it looks like to be a risk-taking, boundary-breaking neighbor. He saw someone in need and felt compassion. When you see others in need, does your heart break? Both their tangible needs and their spiritual needs, their holistic needs, their entire life. We just spent time praying for people that we know that are lost. Does your heart break for them? When's the last time you've shed tears knowing that your friends are far from God? He went and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, gave of his own resources, risked what he had to show love and kindness and neighborliness to say, I want you to be included. Bore his burdens, placing him on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him, followed up, not just counting service as a, as a checklist item, but a way of life. I'm gonna circle back. I don't just wanna check the box of serving someone different than me. I wanna create a relationship with this person and know that they're okay. Risk-breaking, boundary-breaking love. That is what it means to be a kingdom neighbor. That is how someone in the kingdom of Jesus ought to live. Doesn't our world need kingdom neighbors? People that would take risks to say, there are people in the world that, that don't know of the love of Jesus, don't know they can be included in this. Well, you had a great opportunity in the foyer talking to CMM to be a part of that? Doesn't our nation need kingdom neighbors? People who claim to be followers of Jesus that don't try to create new walls of hostility and boundaries to Jesus' kingdom, adding to what Jesus said of what it means to be a follower, claiming perhaps an example that if you're gonna be a follower of Jesus, you must also be a part of this group, this political ideology, check all these boxes. Are you gonna add to Jesus' words of what it takes to follow him? Are you gonna add to loyalty to Yahweh and love for neighbor, and you think that you have the wisdom that surpasses all wisdom, that you can define exactly how that looks for the people, and you put up walls to keep people away from being an insider in Jesus' kingdom, who Jesus has said are included? I think our nation definitely needs that. Our city needs kingdom neighbors to go out of their way to care for the needs of their neighbors. 
go out of their way to say, I don't want anyone in Fayetteville to be a stranger to God. I wanna go find them and bring them in to this community that they would place their faith in Jesus, that they, that by extension of placing their faith in Jesus would be fulfilling the law of, of loyalty to Yahweh through Jesus and love for neighbor as the spirit indwells them and they go out and they begin to live that way. Our city needs that. Your dorm needs that. Your fraternity, your sorority house needs that. Your apartment complex needs kingdom neighbors. Your friend group needs kingdom neighbors. People willing to take risks, to, to, to ask those questions, to share the gospel with friends that are lost. Your family needs kingdom neighbors. What would it look like for Fellowship College ministry to take this call seriously and say, I cannot believe that I, who once was an outsider, have been included through Jesus. I wanna take this message to the ends of the earth and I'm gonna start right here today. As we close, I think it's impossible for us to do that if we don't recognize this and see the gospel on display even in this parable. That in the greatest act of neighborly love ever, Jesus, who is in very nature God, other than us, in the kingdom of heaven, a realm completely outside of our own that we have no right to claim because of our sin, humbled himself to walk among us, to take on flesh, to know us, to walk with us. That he was obedient to death, even on a cross, to show neighborly love, to say, I will risk everything, even my life, to heal your sickness of sin. That he followed up, he raised again from the grave, making the way saying, I will never leave you or forsake you, but I will send you an advocate. You have the Holy Spirit in you. You are not alone. He is present with you. He's a present neighbor to you. He said, you were once an outsider, but now you are mine. You belong to me. If you call yourself a kingdom person, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you know that that act of neighborly love should be our motivation for us to go out and love as Jesus did. He told his disciples, night before his death, a new command I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And they will know you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Father, would you help us be kingdom neighbors? That we wouldn't be able to take it that there are people in our city that don't know you and have never been invited into your family. that we would take risks financially, that we would take risks uh, in comfort, that we would take risks every day to cross boundaries that our world has put up and said, these groups don't mix, but we would say, no, every group is invited into Jesus' kingdom. We are now one family, united, there's no distinction. Would you make our church characterized by that kind of neighborliness, that it would defy boundaries and categories of our world? And Lord, we pray again for those that are lost, that don't know you, that haven't experienced your love, but we take responsibility to know that they experience it through us until they realize that they're really experiencing it from you. Jesus, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Church is
we hear about God's great love for us, we get to now respond in worship. Let's stand together and let's sing.
forgiveness of sin is proclaimed to you. In Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace.
worthy of that praise. God, would you stir our affections as, even as we leave this room, God, as you're, you've been moving in hearts all night. And so, Father, we pray that you continue to move, God. God, would you open our eyes and allow us to see your beauty. God, that your fingerprint is on everything. Continue to worship you in that knowledge this evening and throughout the rest of this week, God. And we sing your praises as we're walking to class, as we're getting in our cars, whatever it is we're doing, as we're eating meals. May we sing your praises. May they be written on our hearts. May our hearts overflow with joy and with praise to your name. We love you, Jesus. Fellowship College, we love you guys. You have a great week of worship. Y'all be safe, be safe, be safe, stay warm. We'll see you next week.